Welcome to Nashville Life. I'm Alvin. For those of you who are here for the first time, I serve as a lead pastor here at the church, and it's an honor to be with you guys. Um, a lot of good things going on. Kids' life. If you're feeling some bumping, they're rocking downstairs. It's the, the first uh, full band worship service that we're offering for our kids. We've been working towards this. We've been working towards this for about a year and just waiting to get enough people to be able to uh, have a band up here and a band down there. And this is our first Sunday being able to do that. So uh, that's what's going on. But it's a huge win for our church. I'm excited for the kids to, to just be served uh, even in a better way than they have in, in the past. And, and the kids' life team is great. And I just want to help keep supporting them. And uh, speaking of kids, Create Camp, if you have any desire or willingness to help. Um, we are taking volunteers for as much or as little as you can uh, serve for their Create Camp coming at the uh, mid, mid to end of July, July 19th. So you can go to the website and let us know if you're interested. If you like working with kids and you want to have a good time for the summer, we'll be here for that week. Um, yeah, good stuff. And then, uh, yeah, thanks to everybody for the birthday wishes and cards. And I felt very loved on Monday. So thank you again. Uh, well, let's get into the Word of God. I'm excited about it. I could barely sleep last night. I was so excited about it. Uh, the, the, we like to open up with saying this declaration to prepare our hearts for uh, receiving God's Word. So say after me, the Word of God is the bread of life. May my heart conceive it and my life achieve it. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right, so the theme for 2022, we have one theme that we're carrying out the whole year. We're halfway through just about um, withstanding the wind. And it's a theme that's inspired by a word in Matthew chapter 3, verse 12 from John the Baptist. And he's uh, giving us insight of, of how the harvest of Jesus uh, works. And he says, his winnowing fan is in his hand. And he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And uh, it's a kind of a sobering, you know, insight on what Jesus is doing. No one likes to talk about anything being burnt up, but it's, it's in there for a reason. And we have to be sober by this word to, to really, you know, uh, make sure the Bible says to ask ourselves regularly, are we still in the faith? Are we still in this? And I'm not promoting doubt, but I am promoting uh, confirmation. The Bible says to make your calling and election sure. You've got you've to check. Is my heart still in alignment with the Lord? Because we all know that if we don't keep attention to things, they can go off. And the same is with our faith. If we don't keep with our faith and keep putting logs in the fire and keep our minds fixed and focused and keep our hearts pure, um, we can't assume that it's not going to drift um, because it will. And the cool thing about this is that it gives us all a chance to, to make sure that the Spirit of God is what, what's driving us and what's, what's leading us. And I think it's important for us to understand it because the winds are coming throughout our lives. I'm going to talk a lot about today on how to interpret 
the wins slash trials that are happening in your lives and understand that, that there's a purpose to it. So when it comes to the winds that are blowing through the church of Jesus Christ and the, the body of Christ, uh, we have to understand that, that this is all uh, talked about in Scripture. And as long as we stay focused on Jesus and, and submit it to his word, we, we know that we're going to be able to withstand the wind. So this year is about training Nashville life to withstand the winds that are blowing through the body of Christ. So I'm talking about different winds each month, and this is the end of June, and we're talking about the wind of doctrine. The wind of doctrine, and doctrine is described in Webster as a principle or position or the body of principles and a branch of knowledge or system of belief, and then it's something that is taught. And Ephesians 4, 14 lets us know that the winds of doctrine can be a challenge to our faith if we're not careful. Uh, Ephesians 4, 14 says, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by, every, by, wa- by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, and deceitful schemes. So a wind that we have to be aware of as the body of Christ is the wind of doctrine. And there's various ones that will come through, different fads and different, different ideas that can come through over time. And we as the body of Christ have to be really married to Scripture. We've got to really be anchored to Scripture. Otherwise, we can be deceived because these, these doctrines, uh, they don't call deception for nothing. Uh, no one says, I am deceived. <laughs> No one has said that. Um, literally, no one has said that because deception is I'm doing the right thing. Uh, you don't think it's wrong. So we have to be careful because deception is used with some of these winds of doctrine. And if we're not lining up things with the word, we can fall for things that won't be good for us, good for our families, good for the body of Christ. Uh, I talked three weeks ago about the doctrine of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I talked about how there's a wind of doctrine that's really trying to diminish this in the believer's life, really trying to diminish this in your growth, in the pattern of your life, and the role of the Holy Spirit, the role of the fire of God, the role of speaking in tongues. Um, I think it's important for us to be careful of, of doctrines that really try to sweep this under the rug or put that in a dark corner where no one can see it, no one can touch it, no one can talk about it, because it's important. And it's a, it's a beautiful gift, and it's a equipping that we, that we need, I believe, to execute the assignment of God on our lives. Number two, last two weeks ago, we talked about the doctrine of love and how we have to be very careful as Christians to submit ourselves to the biblical definition of what love is because there's a lot of definitions of love in our society that if we're not vigilant, we will fall for it and we'll find ourselves subscribing to a love that God does not recognize. And then number one... Not one, one week ago, my dad spoke so greatly on Father's Day. It was great for him. Thank you, Dad, for preaching. And he talked about the doctrine of kingdom fatherhood. Uh, And it blessed us. I took notes, and we were talking. He was talking about how similar to love, we have to be careful not to take our cues of what being a man and what being a father is from the world, but really look to the word of God and let the word teach us what it means to be a godly father. Today, I'm going to talk about the doctrine of the end times. 
the doctrine of the end times. Now, the end times is a very multifaceted, uh, yeah, topic. And I I'm not even going to touch the surface of all that you could talk about with the end times. But I am going to talk about a particular aspect of the end times, and it's something that I believe is going to help us. Uh, the doctrine of the end times, according to the word, is that the end times will be great. The end times will be victorious, and the end times will be glorious. Amen. And the reason why I'm starting off with that, because I've got a confession to make. I've been convicted, because there's a lot about the end times that speak to some horrible things. And we as people, depending on where we are in lives and the condition of our hearts, we can kind of emphasize certain things and, and make light of other things. You can read one sentence, but only like four parts stick out. We do that all the time with reading scripture. We will we'll read the Bible and based off where we're at and based off what we're looking for, we'll highlight one part and then we'll kind of like brush off another part. And we don't do this intentionally all the time. Sometimes we do. Um, but we don't, but, but it happens. And I believe I've done that when it comes to the end times. And if I'm doing it, then maybe there's a chance that some of y'all are doing it. So we're going to talk about this. Uh, Matthew chapter 24. Matthew 24, verse 3 through 7. Matthew 24, 3 through 7. As he talking about Jesus, sat on the Mount of Olives. The disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, see that no one leads you astray for many will come in my name saying I am the Christ and they will lead many astray and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed for this must take place. But the end is not yet for nations will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. Doesn't sound too great. Verse 8, all these things are but the beginning of birth pains. So my confession is when I read these scriptures, oftentimes my takeaway is there's going to be great famines, and there's going to be earthquakes, and kingdoms are going to rise against kingdoms, and there's going to be wars, and all of these things are 100% true. All of these things are true. However, it's very hazardous for us to leave out a very important part that I just read. And that is that all these are but the beginnings of birth pains. Now, I know I'm a man, so I'm going to tread lightly as I talk about birth pains because I've never experienced it uh, biologically. But as we talk, you're going to see that it's actually applicable to all of us when it comes to our spiritual lives. Birth pains are interesting because from what I've heard, <laughs> it's very painful. There are contractions and other words that I don't know that happen when you are giving birth. At the same time, 
It is widely known as one of the greatest miracles, if not the greatest miracle of life. And despite these pains and despite knowing about these pains and hearing countless mothers talk about these pains, there's still so many women around the world that just can't wait to be moms. I just can't wait to have a baby. And I think this is very fascinating because every mom, every woman that wants to be a mom knows that there's going to be birth pains, but yet they still can't wait. And those people, the way it makes sense to me is that the glory of what they're giving birth to is greater than than the pain that it takes to get there. The glory of what a mother gives birth to is greater than the pain that it will take to get there. Jesus keeps on talking on verse 9. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation, more pain, and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Sounds like more pain. Verse 10, and then many will fall away. Sounds like a lot of pain. And betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. Sounds like a painful season. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel, which means good news of the kingdom, will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. So the doctrine of the end times is scripturally the actual end before Jesus comes, before the end, the last thing that will happen before the end comes is the good news of the gospel will spread throughout the entire world and the testimony will be known in all nations. Now, I got a little emotional first service. I think I've got it together today. But this is a test. Birth pains, I believe, are a test to reveal the heart of man or woman. It is a fact that human beings sacrifice for what they want. Christian or non-Christian, this is a human fact. It doesn't matter. This is not a Christian thing. This is a human thing. People sacrifice for what they want. People endure pain for what they want. For some of us, it's that business that we're trying to get off the ground, and we are investing and putting in crazy hours because we want to see our business take off. Some of us, it's that summer body that you want, and you're sacrificing and you're going through pain of working out. Whatever it is, you name it, big or small, trivial or significant, if we want it, 
we know there's something in us that knows how to sacrifice for what we want. Now, the reason why I got emotional is, is the gospel reaching the entire world? Something that in our hearts of hearts we want. Because if the desire is not there, if it's not a personal, actual desire for the gospel to go all over the world, then the cost will not be worth it for us. If the desire for people besides you and those you know to be saved isn't a desire in your heart, then the birth pains will be something not worth the payoff. The only way you go through the birth pains is if what you're giving birth to and what's coming is worth it to you. Jesus said, Well, the word says that it was the joy that was set before him that enabled him to endure the cross. Guys, in case you didn't know, the cross was very painful. Crucifixion doesn't feel good. In fact, it feels horrible. But the Bible says that his desire for you and you and you and you and you and you and me and you to be saved was worth the birth pains that he had to endure. Jesus said these things must happen. And to be honest, that news is kind of frustrating to me at times. The frustrating part is that we serve a God who allows his people to feel as much pain as we'll feel in this life. Sometimes that bothers me, that that this amount of pain is really a part of the plan. But I'm comforted because though the birth pains might be tough, what I know is coming on the other side is greater. Think about it. As believers, Christians, we must learn how to interpret pain. We must learn how to interpret pain. Because if we don't know how to interpret pain, what will register or interpret as God's abandonment might very well be his will. What we'll interpret as God's cruelty might actually be God's promotion for our lives. What we'll interpret, interpret as, as God's disapproval might be his approval. Pain must be interpreted accurately for the Christian. Jesus says these things must happen. Remember uh, Peter. Peter didn't know how to interpret pain the same way that Jesus knew how. So when Jesus was being arrested before he was taken to be crucified, that was painful 
for Peter because this is one of his best friends being arrested for something he didn't do. And he interpreted the pain as something bad, as something that needs to be stopped. So he pulls out his sword and he cuts the ear of the soldier that was, that was arresting Jesus. And Jesus had to rebuke him and stop him. Because the very thing that Peter was interpreting as this is wrong, Jesus knew that this had to happen for Peter to be saved. Jesus says these things must happen. Judas had to betray Jesus for Jesus to die on the cross for us to be saved. The Pharisees, they had to turn on Jesus for the Gentiles well, for, for Jesus to be crucified, and the Jews had to not accept him and harden their hearts toward him for the Gentiles to come in, for us to come in. When you read the Bible, it teaches you to interpret pain accurately, to interpret loss accurately. That's why I love birth pains, because if it's pain, like if I just took a hammer and, you know, hit my thumb, that's what you just call pain. That's not a, there's no birth attached to it. It's just pain. But the Lord leads us on a path of pain that actually births something way more glorious than the pain that we were experiencing. Matthew 24, 13 through 14, I read it already, but it says, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be, be, will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations then the end will come. The winds that we are experiencing in the body of Christ are going strong, and we're seeing that, that tribulation stuff. We're seeing the hearts of people growing cold. We're seeing, we're seeing people question and, and doubt and, 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 and turn away from the faith altogether. We're seeing, we're seeing pride rise up. We're seeing, we're seeing people love with a, with a love that's not from God. We're seeing all these things. But I believe that these are birth pains for the greatest harvest that the world has ever seen. And this is why I say that I have to correct myself when I say the end times are going to be glorious. Because according to Scripture, there's going to be the spreading of the gospel, which means people are going to be hearing the gospel, which means people are going to be preaching the gospel, which means the church is going to be stored up, stirred up. They're going to be fired up. Let me talk about the end time harvest. The end time harvest. The Bible lets us know at the end of the age, this, this earthly age that we know, there's going to be a great harvest. There's going to be a great spreading of the gospel. And before that harvest, there will be a great, great uh, yeah, great spreading of the gospel for people to hear the word of God. But the thing about the gospel is, like the scripture says, the gospel can't be shared unless it's preached. And it can't be preached unless believers sent it, sent, are sent, I should say. So the cool thing about this is when I read that everyone and all the nations are going to hear the gospel, that lets me know a few things. Because the Bible says in Romans 10, how then will they call on him who they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him who they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. 
So when I hear that the gospel is going to spread, that lets me know something. Because the gospel can't spread unless someone's preaching. So if the gospel is going to reach the entire world, that means the church is about to be busy sharing the good news of the gospel. So I'm like, well, how is that going to happen? Because it's not, you know, it's happening a little here, but it's not, it's not happening a lot. He goes, well, keep studying because I'm going to show you how this movement is going to happen, how the church is going to reach this place. Now, first off, I'm moving with faith because I know that even though I don't know how it's going to look and how we're going to get there, Haggai chapter 2, verse 9, says that the latter glory of this house, which means the house of God, shall be greater than the former, says the Lord. So I'm standing on a promise, according to the prophet Haggai, that the end of God's house, the latter house, will be greater than the former house. Now, I said this last service, and I think we all need to be careful because there's nothing wrong with being sentimental, and there's nothing wrong with honoring our forefathers. But we need to make sure that we repent from this idea that the best days of the church was back then. I'm not saying dishonor those who've gone before us, but guys, if we adopt an idea that the best years of the church were way back, you know, when I was a young boy or in the early, even the early church. Guys, because think about, think how pessimistic that is. Like, if the best is behind us, then what are we even doing? <laughs> like, why are we here? If the best, if we missed the best, the word of God makes it clear that the latter will be greater than the former. Praise God. Which is why we have hope, I hope. Which is why we get up and do what we do. Because yes, and guys, let the glory of the past stir you up. Because if it was that glorious on the day of Pentecost, if it was that glorious on the early church, then how much more glorious is it going to be before he returns? But... I have another question, because the same Bible that says that the church is going to be greater and the house of God is going to be greater and the glory is going to be more glorious is the same Bible that says there's going to be a great falling away. So I'm like, how does that work? The great falling away that the Bible talks about will not be a lessening of the body of Christ, but it will be a pruning and strengthening of the body of Christ. The great falling away that the Bible says is going to happen within the church is going to be similar to Gideon's army, that even though it downsized, it was not to weaken the army but it was to strengthen the army, to consecrate the army, to concentrate the army. Less, less dilution, more potent, powerful fist. Now, don't, now, now, now hear, hear me out. I am for growth. I am for more people being added day by day. And if the church, if we're making mistakes and we're the reason why that the church isn't growing, I'm not the kind of person that goes, well, you know, Gideon, you know, I'm not, I don't want to use pruning 
as an excuse for errors that we're making to why the church isn't as big as it is. With that said, I'm a firm believer, and there's plenty of examples in Scripture that show that a united few is greater than a disjointed crowd. I believe that in order for the last harvest to happen, there's got to be a, a, a unified church. The Bible says that it's not until the church is unified that the world will see that he is the Messiah. But being unified is a process, which is half of what this year is about. That's why the Lord has things like pruning and winnowing, because it's not that he's trying to get rid of things. He's trying to achieve the unity that it's going to take for the Holy Spirit to move through the church and for the world to be saved the way that he has called for the world to be saved. I believe in order for the last harvest to happen, the gospel is going to have to be preached everywhere, which means many laborers are needed, which means the church is going to have to be stirred up and motivated to get involved in this harvest. How will this motivation happen? I believe the same way the motivation happened the first time. And by the first time, I mean the first time that the Holy Spirit rained down on people in the day of Pentecost. I preached about this a few weeks ago. It's on YouTube if you want to look at it. On the day of Pentecost, the baptism of the Holy Spirit took place, and the Holy Spirit fell down on people, and it was, it was a fiery rain. And I believe that this initial rain is what the early rain does for a harvest. It starts the life. It percolates it. It starts it going. It gets the ball rolling. It's important. It's powerful. And it happened. That rain happened, and we still read about it, and we still talk about it. But that's not the only rain the Bible says is going to happen. James chapter 5, verse 7. James chapter 5, verse 7. He's talking to the church. He says, therefore, be, be patient, brethren. This walk takes patience. Until the coming of the Lord. James says, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. I believe there's two major rains that will happen in the harvest of Jesus in the body of Christ. I believe the early rain is what I talked about. I believe that was a day of Pentecost. I believe that's when the church the entire church at that time, because it was only 120, the entire church received the Holy Spirit in a way that moved them, that fired them up to go out, and we see an incredible harvest happen that same morning. Over 3,000 people gave their lives to Jesus in one setting. And that ended up being a huge movement, and the church of, church of Jesus Christ grew because of this rain that fell. And I believe that's when life started. That's when the church really began. And though that happened, James is telling us to be patient. Because before the Lord comes back, there's got to be what the word calls a latter rain. And I believe this latter rain is going to do the same thing. I believe it's going to cause the church of Jesus Christ to be so stirred up 
and so fired up that they're going to go out and share the gospel. And we're going to see what I believe is the greatest harvest that the body of Christ has ever seen. There's a lot more people on the earth than there was in that day. And I believe that with the billions of people on this earth, when we see the church unify and truly stand in the position that we've been called to stand in and share the good news of Jesus, I believe that the number that's going to come in is going to be greater than anything that we've seen really put together. I believe that in my heart. I believe that that's what I see. I believe that that is the power of our God. If he can do it in the former, and he said that the latter is going to be greater, then how much more? I want us, I want us to start imagining. Like, I want, we do so good at imagining bad things. How about we use that same power and imagine if God did that, then what could he possibly do now? That's how faith works. Just take the anxiety that you use and turn it into positivity. Basically, anxiety is uh, anticipation of something bad coming. It hasn't happened yet, but you're imagining it, and it manifests in your body and your mind as if it was real. Faith is the opposite. It hasn't yet, yet, but you anticipate it, you think it, and it will manifest in your life even though it hasn't even happened. You will find yourself. Guys, this is literally how faith works. It's the substance of what you don't see. But because God's word says it, you can allow your mind to get there. Next you know, you have the joy of the Lord even though you're being whipped in prison. You can be fired up for tomorrow even though you just... Lost a lot of people. Like, you know, even when bad things are happening, faith allows you to still be strong in the Lord and still have enough energy and motivation to keep going. That's why I have to ask you guys because faith can only be in what you hope for. And what breaks my heart is sometimes I wonder how many Christians are actually hoping that more people get saved. Guys, we're talking about basic human desire now. I'm not talking about, you know, do you have a desire? Is it truly a favorable thought for you that more people come into the kingdom of God? Yes, your friends, yes, your, your spouse, yes, your kids, yes, your parents, but even the people across the street, the cashier at the store, is it really your desire? Because until you are actually hoping it, you can't have faith in it. Faith is what you hope for. So we have to ask ourselves, is this a desire in my heart? And if it's not, don't be condemned. We actually have a God that can change our hearts if we ask him to. Don't, don't resist in pride. Oh, I feel like I'm a bad person now. Thanks a lot, Alvin. No. If you don't have a desire for people to be saved, that's why God has you here. So you can hear that, A, it needs to be a desire, and two, it can be a desire. Don't let pride cause you to resist the beautiful gift of repentance. The latter rain. I'm like, what is it going to take for this great move to happen? What is it going to take for the body of Christ 
all around the world to unite in the same objective and the same calling and the same power and the same purpose to win the lost to you for this end day harvest. And for me to find out what it took for the latter rain to happen, I wanted to look to see what it took for the former rain to happen, for the early rain to happen. Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through 2 says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven, and as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And what the scripture goes on to say is they started going outside, and then Peter started sharing the gospel, and that's when all of this harvest started to come in. The rain precedes the harvest. When the Holy Spirit came upon them and the fire of God rested upon them, they, uh, they didn't just start speaking in tongues. They received the passion, the confidence, the certainty, the boldness, the love that it took to go outside to a bunch of people and start declaring the works of God effectively. The gospel takes, to spread the gospel, you need a motivation. You need a confidence. You need a boldness. You need a faith. You need a love for people. You need a love for God that, quite frankly, human beings aren't born with. And that's not to beat us up. It's just the truth. That's why you got to be born again. You're not born with that love. It has to be received from Jesus. It has to be received by the Holy Spirit. So when they were speaking in tongues and when they had the fire, all of a sudden they had the love they needed to go outside and care about people that they've never met. That takes a special love to go to people that you don't even know or care about and care about them enough to share the gospel, to put yourself out there. That takes a love that comes from God. That takes a motivation. That takes a confidence and a boldness that can only come from the Holy Spirit. So that rain came on them and they went out and we saw the harvest come. The scripture, the part of the scripture that I want to emphasize is they were all on one accord. Now you got to watch out because some of these translations, King James, <laughs> New King James says they were all with one accord in one place. That means they were in unity. That means they're on the same page. And I believe we see from the words of Jesus that when Christians get on the same page, supernatural things will happen. I believe the Lord will not reign on a divided church. The Lord will not pour his spirit down on something that is disjointed. I believe it's got to be united. I believe it's got to be one because that reflects him. He's one, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They are perfectly united. So he's looking for unity because unity is him. That's why the Bible says you can't be double-minded. That means you're not unified even within your own self. The Bible says the person who's double-minded can't expect to receive anything from God because God only looks for him. There I go. I can pour my spirit there. That's why we have to receive Jesus so he can see himself. 
when he sees you. This church has to be unified so the Lord can see himself when he sees us. And when he sees us, he goes, oh, man, let me just lavish my spirit all over this place. Because if this place is multiplied, my kingdom is glorified. There's some of us that if we were multiplied now, it would not be an asset to the kingdom of God. Fifty of me? Yikes. You know what I'm saying? You got to ask yourself, if you were multiplied right now, what would the kingdom of God be? And again, not to condemn you, but to say, if you don't like the answer of that, Lord, make me like you. Change my heart. Change my mind. So that if there's a thousand of me, then the world looks more like you. Guys, this takes humility, but it really just, just, it's simple. Lord. So I was thinking about it. I was like, all right, they were unified. They were unified. And the word says there was 120 of them in that room. Must have been a big room. <laughs> or they were really cramped up. Now, earlier, we see that when Jesus first appeared to people, there were 500 people that he appeared to. 500 people. And the 500 people, he famously said, wait here. Because I'm going to send my Holy Spirit, and it's going to be the power that you need. So we got 500 that actually saw Jesus risen from the grave. And that's pretty compelling. That's a pretty incredible testimony to see. 500 people. But somehow, when it gets to the upper room, a couple weeks later, there's only 120. Now, I don't know what happened to that 380. But all I know is that when there were 120, the word says they were on one accord. Again, I am pro-growth. I am pro the more, the merrier. At the same time, my understanding says the more, the merrier. The, Lord, the word says I want unity. Now, confession. Because of my own understandings, if I was in that 120, there's a chance I would have been like, oh, man, we had 500. Now we only have 120. Oh, man, we could have done so much with 500. Oh, man, we could have done so much. We could have done this. We could have done this. We could have done this. Now it's only 120 up here. That would have been me. That's just honestly who I am without Jesus. <laughs> but with Jesus, he shows me, well, keep reading. Because that 120... Even though it was less than 500, because they were unified, when the Holy Spirit stirred them up, that 120 turned into over 3,000 before the morning was over. We must learn how to interpret pain. We must learn how to interpret pain. Look to the word to process your pain. I promise you, the Lord will show you a purpose and a fruitfulness that your pain can produce that no other source can show you. Next time you are in pain, go to the word and you will find that the very thing that you are interpreting as loss could very well be a gain. The very thing that you are interpreting as God's disapproval could very well be his Promotion for you. 
I mean, think about Gideon. Oh, man, my army is so God's like, trust me. I know what I'm doing. So when it comes to us, guys, we've got to be patient. Because I believe the Lord is preparing the church to be the unified church that it's got to be for this last harvest to truly come in. I believe the Lord is currently right now. That's why he's shaking stuff up. And it, it, it's, it, ah, hallelujah. Jesus, first of all, none of us are one thing. All of us are multifaceted. I don't know why we don't give Jesus the right to be multifaceted. Like, none of us want to be put in a box. But yet Jesus is only one thing. Paul says we must both recognize the kindness and the severity of God. He's both. He is king and he is judge, but he's also pal, friend, brother. He is both. And what happens is if, we don't, if we're not careful, we'll lean so much on his severity that we forget that he's nice. And then we'll lean so much on his niceness that we forget that he's judge. Paul says a wise person is going to recognize that he is both. And yes, Jesus wants the lost to come in. Jesus died for all of us. Are you kidding me? He loves all of us. But he also says he's going to shake things up because what is not unified with him is out of here. He said that. He said it. Whatever is not producing fruit, he throws away. I know that disrupts. That's not the Jesus I know. But maybe it is the Jesus you know. Maybe you just don't know that part of him and you're learning about it today. (laughs) And he says what is fruitful, he'll still cut so it can produce more. you got to understand how to interpret pain. Because being pruned, like I'm not a tree, but I'm guessing if I was being, like that hurts. Ow. But then if you endure, you see, oh man, I'm producing ten times more fruit than I was before I got that cut. Christians must learn how to interpret pain because this road is filled with it. And if we're not careful, we'll do what the doctrine of the end times wants us to do and only see doom and gloom ahead of us. When you experience pain, it's very hard to see light at the end of the tunnel. All you see is your pain. When you're in pain, it's very difficult to see anything else but that pain. Like imagine stubbing your toe and someone asking you about taxes. You're like, are you kidding me? Like, you're throbbing with pain. And so you're like, I can't answer that right now because I only see my pain right now. But we as believers, we can't afford to be nearsighted and only see pain. We've got to grow in the word so that we can say, oh, man, this pain is nothing but a birth pain. And I'm giving birth to something great. It's an area of growth that we need for our church. We need, because y'all saw the scriptures before the great harvest, before the whole world reaches it, there was at least eight verses of terrible things. According to scripture, before we get to the end, where there's that glorious harvest that our heart's desires want, there is a list of at least eight verses of really sad things. But Jesus says, don't be alarmed. And the reason why is that these things must happen. So I don't care if you're watching the news. I don't care if it's something going on in your personal life. I don't care if it's something going Guys, Jesus says a lot of these things must happen. 
in order for what he's giving birth to to come. Lord, the, guys, the church is the body of Christ. So he's going to birth what he's doing through us. That's not something that's really written in the, like, orientation for being a Christian. But it needs to be, maybe. Like, when you come in, it's like, yes, you're saved, but you're actually going to be the vessel that God's going to birth things through. And the reason we got to say that is because when you start feeling birth pains, you go, what? what is this? No one told me that I was going to be the instrument that God was going to use to birth things through. And when we don't know it, we misinterpret it, and we go, oh, man, this is wrong. I shouldn't be a part of this. This is oh, no more Christianity. That stuff is painful. So when you come into the body of Christ, the Lord, and that's the thing. We might not be doing it, but Jesus did. If you, he was up front with his disciples. He goes, if you follow me, all y'all are going to be crucified. All y'all are going to be persecuted, and they're going to hate you, and they're going to hate you because you represent me. He's, and then he was like, who still wants to come? <laughs> You got to drink my blood. You got to eat my body. Like Jesus, Jesus, he didn't pull punches. Because he wanted people to understand, yes, I'll save you of your sins, but you're also going to be one with me. And my road is filled with suffering. And when he shared this, the Bible said that almost all of his followers left. Does that mean that he wasn't speaking the truth? Does that mean he didn't love them? But the cost, that's, that's weird. I'm just going to go back to what I was doing. Y'all call me. Let me know how it works. That's what a lot of people do. That's what people do today. And Jesus went, what are y'all going to do? We're here. Okay. And it downsized, but man, was it a powerful fist. That downsized following went on to start the church that has got us saved today. We must learn to interpret pain. Yes, he is the God of blessings, but he is the God of suffering. He's both. You will experience joy. You will experience laughter. You will have deep, great pleasures but you will feel pain if you're doing it right. But the Lord says that the comfort is that, ah, first of all, he went through it too, so we can always lean on him because there's no pain that we feel for him that he hasn't already filled in his name that he hasn't already felt. But going back to now, in with this, Desire. In order for you to follow suit with Jesus and endure the whole way, at some point, what drives him has to be what drives you. What stirs him up has got to be what stirs you up. What makes him excited has to be what makes you excited. Because the cost will be too great if the desire is not there. If your desire for the harvest, if your desire for people to be saved isn't a sincere desire for you, then the minute that you feel that right pain in that right spot, you'll be like, ooh, not worth it, not worth it. But if the desire is there, you'll be able to endure your cross the way Jesus endured his. You'll be able to endure your pain the way that he endured his. 
you'll be able to endure your mockery and shame the way he endured his mockery and shame. You'll be able to endure things that you never thought you could if what you're giving birth to is greater to you than the pain that it takes to get there. I want to end again with James 5, verse 7. I read this already. I'm going to read it one more time. It says, therefore, be patient. Another word for patient is long-suffering. In other words, keep suffering. Brethren, until the coming of the Lord, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. I'm going to pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for giving us vision today of what's to come. Lord, I thank you for saving us from only seeing the suffering that's ahead. And Lord, letting us know that the end of that tunnel is the greatest glory that the church will ever see. The greatest glory that the church has ever seen. The greatest harvest. A rain that will produce a great harvest. God, I pray that the glory and the desire of seeing nations, nations all around the world, including ours, confessing Jesus as Lord. God, I pray that that vision, that image would shine brighter in our eyes, in our minds, in our hearts. God, and I pray, Lord, that the, the glory of that vision, the glory of that possibility, the, great, the glory of that promise would shine so bright that the birth pains will seem nothing in comparison. Lord, I pray that the glory of what you're giving birth to through the church would outweigh the birth pains that it takes to get there. God, I pray a blessing over all of our hearts. Lord, I pray, Lord, for them to be changed by your spirit as each person decides for themselves that they want your heart. God, I pray that you would do what your word says and remove their heart of stone and put a heart of flesh. Lord, if it's not their desire, if they're honest with themselves and it's not a burning desire for people to be saved, Lord, let them not feel condemned or shamed, but Lord, let them know that they serve a God that already sees their heart and still loves them. Lord, I pray, Lord, that they would be humble enough to say, God, that's not my heart. In all honesty, that's not my heart. But I believe and I've heard that you can change hearts.
So Lord, I pray that you give them the faith and the humility to just say, God, give me your heart. Give me your heart for the harvest. Give me your heart for the lives of other people. Give me your heart for salvation to reach every nation. Lord, and I just know you say ask and you'll receive. And I believe that those who ask, they're going to receive your heart. And Lord, as more believers in this church, in this city, in this country, and around the world, as more believers pray this prayer, Lord, we will see a unified heart happen in the church. And we will see the church achieve the unity that you've been praying to see and waiting to see. God, and I thank you in Jesus' name that just like the day of Pentecost, when we're on one accord, we're going to see a supernatural enhancement happen to the church. And we're going to be stirred up with love, with boldness, with faith, with compassion, with fire. And we're going to go out and share. And we're going to tell the goodness of God to other people. And we're going to see a great harvest. So I thank you, Jesus, for giving us the endurance and the patience until we see what you've promised in your word. We are believing for the latter rain. We are believing for a great move of the church. A move that's not fueled by arrogance or politics or anything of this world but a church that's filled with your spirit and your pure love for you and for people. That's what it's going to take. Help us get there, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. I'm going to ask us all to stand. We're going to pray. I'm going to lead us in a prayer of salvation. Now, I don't want anybody to check out during this time because a lot of times we can subconsciously check out if we've already prayed the prayer but guys there's a part in this prayer where I say make me a new person in Christ and just so you know God doesn't just want to make you a new person compared to what you were 15 years ago he wants to make you a new person from what you were yesterday. Because let's be honest, the version of us yesterday might have not really had a heart for souls. We conceptually know it's a good idea. It'd be nice, but it's not really something that burns personally inside of us. I believe when we pray this prayer with faith, if we are really knowing what we're asking for, I believe the Lord can actually make you a new person today from who you were even this morning. That's how strong I believe God's power is. That's how much I know he wants me to receive a new heart. And that's how eager I believe he is to transform your life. So repeat these words after me. Say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I confess that Jesus Christ 
is the Son of God. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins and was raised from the dead on the third day. Forgive me of my sins and make me a new person in Christ. Lord Jesus, I choose you to be the Lord of my life. Fill me with the Holy Spirit so I can live for you every day. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Now, right now, I just want you to receive the transformation that's going to happen in your heart. You're not going to feel it, maybe. You're not going to see it, but you have to believe by faith that since I asked for the Lord to make me a new person, He's changing me. He's changing my heart. He's giving me a new heart. He's giving out new hearts right now. He's giving out new minds right now. He's giving out new visions right now. He's giving out new senses of identity right now. So I'm asking for all of us to receive it by faith because I believe His Spirit is doing it. His Spirit is doing the work. His Spirit is doing the work. So Jesus, we thank you for your Spirit. I thank you for the power of faith. I thank you for the power of transformation. And I know that everyone who asks in faith received what they asked for. So I praise you. And if you're grateful, let's just give a sound of thanksgiving, a sound of praise, a sound of faith in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, God. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Protect what God did in your heart today. Protect it. Protect it. Protect what God did in your heart today. If you said yes to the Lord, congratulations. We have two ways you can let us know. We've got a prayer team that's going to be here. When we dismiss, they're going to stand in a position. Y'all can come right now. And then also, uh, you can text BELONG to 77411, 77411. And you can let us know that you said yes to Jesus. If you uh, would like prayer, you can come down and we'll pray for you on your way out. Uh, we really mean that. It's not an inconvenience to us. We would love to pray for you. If you would like to give, you can give on your way out. You can give online or you can give to the finance team. And uh, we've got Team Sunday at 1 o'clock if you serve on team. So we'll see you in the third floor. Next steps will be next week. And I love y'all. And I'm excited for our future. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you again for your presence. Lord, I pray that the transformation that's happening in our hearts would continue beyond today. I pray, Lord, that it would change our lives and the lives of our friends, families, and those that we don't even know. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Have a good day, y'all.